Hello and welcome to this alternative audio commentary on Pool Hall Junkies, the 2002 independent picture directed by Mars Callahan. My name's Rob Caravaggio, robcaravaggio.blogspot.com, and if you'd like to synchronize your copy of Pool Hall Junkies to this commentary, I'll give you a countdown in a moment to help you do that. In the meantime, what you can do is locate the very start of the movie. I'm watching the Region 1 DVD here, and there is a Gold Circle Films logo that comes right before the start of the movie. When that Gold Circle Films logo fades to black, hit pause on your DVD, Blu-ray, or what have you, and that'll allow us all momentarily to hit the play button together and watch the movie in perfect, synchronized harmony. All right, if you've taken a moment to locate that sync point, once again, it's right after the Gold Circle Films logo has faded to black. So you should have it paused there. I'm going to say 3, 2, 1, play, and that'll be your cue to hit the play button right along with me. So, ready, 3, 2, 1, play. And we're in. There's the Newman Thule Films logo. All right, here we go. Um, let me first say thank you to uh, my friend Jeremy, who uh, Jeremy, in addition to being a sort of a movie guy, is also a, a pool player. And um, we've gone back and forth emailing on all kinds of things, actually. But um, originally on the uh, couple of commentaries I did on two other pool movies, uh, The Color of Money and The Hustler, a uh, couple of pool movies that are a little better than this pool movie. But I do think, uh, I mean, we, uh, we talked about a lot, Jeremy and I, but uh, I do think this movie is, is a lot of fun. And it, in some ways, I uh, exemplifies a lot of the things I really get off on when it comes to independent film. And I'll, uh, I'll uh, point out some of those things as we move along. But Jeremy thought, uh, that this would be a good candidate for a commentary for a number of reasons. I think um, I think he and I, I got another email too from someone who was a pool player. I, I think he sort of thinks that um, there's a lot of, not so much technical stuff, but just um, if you uh, play pool or, or around that milieu or in that world, you'll sort of spot some of the... Uh, little nuances that I think even um, people who don't play or aren't ensconced in that world would be sort of interested in to some degree. And also just as a movie, um, I think it raises a lot of uh, things that are interesting to discuss, but also just, um, like I say, it, it, it does exemplify, it, while, while I don't think it's a perfect movie, uh, I, it does exemplify everything, or everything, but... Um, does exemplify a lot of the things I get off on when it comes to independent movie making. Here's our first shot of Chaz Palminteri. That's one of the great things about this movie. He uh, uh, Callahan managed to get these these world class uh, and world famous actors in a four million dollar movie, a re relatively low budget movie. And Palminteri, I think, gives the finest. 
performance in this movie. He's he's extraordinary. Um, he's good in everything, you know. Um, and this is a characteristic scene uh, for this movie, I must say, because you have a uh, the kid uh, who plays the young Johnny here um, is not a very good actor. Um, the black guy here is okay, the guy who plays Rags. But it's a characteristic scene because um, you have a very, very good actor, a world-class actor, playing a scene with someone who's not a very good actor and the, the kind of juxtaposition you get from that. Um, yeah, this kid who plays the young Johnny, first of all, the jawline, you know, he I mean, he looks nothing like Mars Callahan. And you figure at a teenage age, even then, Mar Mars Callahan, who in real life and in the movie is clearly towering over everybody, he's like, I think he's like six foot five or something crazy like that. But um, you figure he would have already had his growth spurt and the kid looks nothing like him and the kid is a very bad actor. I mean, th those were hackneyed uh, line readings. I, I could have acted better than that. And so... Uh, we kind of focus on Paul and Terry. Jeremy made a funny joke uh, when we were emailing about this. We were IMing about this movie. He made a joke uh, that he always imagines that this letter is from Paul and Terry's agent. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chaz. We have this very low budget sort of um, not great movie for you to do. Uh, just power through it and uh, my bad. Well, I, his joke was worded in a more funny way than that but in actuality if you listen to the original or, or the um, official commentary that uh here's uh callahan that callahan does with his co-writer chris corso um they actually point out that um palmentary was quite a mensch uh because um in addition to obviously being a tremendous actor there's a three-rail bank shot there on the nine ball that you wouldn't actually shoot in a game. Here's another shot that you wouldn't... Uh, a serious nine ball player would not shoot those shots. Those are trick shots. Um, but it's nothing the hustler in the color of money isn't guilty of, right? Um, it, they look great on camera. I mean, Scorsese did it left and right in the color of money. They look great on camera, and so that's why uh, he's shooting them. But a real money player at that level would, would not typically uh, shoot those kinds of, you know... I mean, the three-rail bank shot in the side is, is makeable, but you wouldn't typically look for that on the money ball. Um, uh, just to finish the thought on Chaz Palminteri, yeah, evidently he was a mensch. They mentioned that, um, in addition, obviously, in addition to being a great actor, he's also a writer, a Bronx tale, uh, obviously, and uh, he uh, was nice enough to give them notes on the screenplay. Um this movie was very much a labor of love and uh, sort of was brought along for a number of years. And uh, so that was that was uh, nice of Palm and Terry. And, and they had, uh, particularly Callahan, had great things to say about all these actors, uh, all the great actors in the movie. The guy who plays Chico here is Glenn Plummer, uh, an actor named Glenn Plummer. I actually think he's quite good. Already in the movie, we've had two, and it's okay because I think the movie... There are so many, there's a real comedic element to this movie. So um, it's okay, but uh, already we've had two sort of stereotypes, screen stereotypes about black people, right? We've had um, the, the Rags character who was sort of a version, I think, although he was the adversary, he was the guy hustling the young Johnny. 
he's sort of um, a version of the quote-unquote helper Negro, the wise old black man who's there to prop up and enlighten the uh, and, and provide guidance and wisdom to the white protagonist. And then, um, you know, the other kind of black people in this movie are uh, the ones we've just seen in this pool room sequence uh, where Johnny uh, will ultimately betray uh, Joe. Uh, is the th- you know the thugged out dangerous drug dealing black man uh, and his uh, pack of other black men that are uh, dangerous and uh, and uh, the movie does something quite bizarre. By the way, this bathroom sequence, I, I do think the movie. Um, sorry for jumping around here at the beginning. I, I just want to point something out about this scene. Um, I do think this movie is extraordinarily well-directed at, at some points. Um, it is a first film, and uh, I think he's a good, you know, there's some nice directing choices. The look of the movie I have a problem with. I'll go into that. But, um, like, this mirror shot, I always talk about mirror shots in movies, uh, in other commentaries. This mirror shot, I like it a lot. I like that they left the smudges on the mirror and stuff like that. Um, I like it a lot because it doesn't insist upon itself. We don't notice it as a mirror shot. This whole bathroom pep talk is... Uh, the first bathroom pep talk. This this sort of scene will be recapitulated later on, of course, with Christopher Walken in a very different kind of pep talk. It's it's a trope, right? This idea that a pep talk solves everything. Um, you know, if that were true in real life, every football team at halftime who gets a speech from their coach would would go out and you know if they're down at halftime they would win the game after that pep talk. There's a, there's an undercurrent, by the way, here of, of Johnny sort of having a drinking problem that nobody really calls out in the film. But uh, I think it's well sort of it's a nice little texture that they add uh, uh, here. He obviously orders a whole bottle of Jack Daniels. Later, he, he will have a flask um, to pay Jay there and his crony, uh, a guy who is the, the stiffest guy you've ever seen. Uh, Toupe J is being played by Peter Mark Richman, and uh, I guess it's a cute little bit of business that he's he's bald and his name Toupe J, and they make a, a little note of that there uh, in the dialogue. Like this, this sort of block the, the way this is blocked here, this sort of the the heads downward sloping. I, that's that's a nice shot. Uh, I'll talk about the um, the lighting in the movie uh, in a sec. Those cans appear to to have been stacked in a pyramid there just so an angry guy at the bar could knock them down. That, uh, let me just get this out of the way. Um, the movie, I think, bizarrely, bizarrely opens with, uh, and, and I don't know if they mean it as a, a kind of save the cat thing or what, but... It opens with this, uh, we had it a moment ago, and, and uh, it's going to be paid off with a line from uh, Chico uh, in a sec here, but um, we're introduced to the adult version of Johnny, our hero of the movie, with this scene in which he gratuitously and um, with reckless abandon uses the N-word in a room full of uh, ostensibly, uh, quote-unquote, dangerous uh, black guys. And obviously he's in cahoots with the Chico character. There's Rick Schroeder. He's in cahoots with the Chico character and it's paid off later. Okay, okay. But um, I think it's just a, a weird call that you're going to open your movie with your hero uh, using the N-word in that way. And and there's a sort of a, an underlying th- thinking to that dialogue, the way it plays out. N-I-G-G-A versus N-I-G-G-R. Who gets to say it? Uh, 
why can't white people say it? And aren't these black guys being trivial for making a fuss over how you pronounce the N-word? If they can say it, why can't we say it? There, there's, I, I always feel like, or I do feel like there's that, that, that sort of, um, sort of frat boy kind of, um, uh, philosophizing underneath it and the movie you know the hero of the movie uses the n-word that way and in a way and the scene comes off in a way that the movie's totally uncritical of it you know there's a way to do that where johnny can seem like a fool or johnny can seem sort of like an idiot but uh, the movie sort of uh, you know it, it's just played for this sort of cheap joke um and we're introduced to our protagonist by him using the n-word in that really I, I obviously you know where i'm coming from i i don't really think that's funny um <laughs> i don't think it's a particularly funny joke here's where it's, it will be paid off with uh um the glenn Plummer character saying it but here okay so i'll mention this and then i'll get off get off it um Here's my problem with it. If you listen to the official commentary, there's a scene about 20 minutes into the movie where uh, the Michael Rosenbaum character, uh, who plays Danny Doyle, Johnny's brother, um, stabs a cigarette into his mouth. And uh, I think they put a little bit of dialogue with it. Uh, if you catch him smoking again, kick his ass or something, Johnny said. But Johnny, his older brother, takes the cigarette out of his mouth and throws it down. There's Allison Eastwood. Uh, and throws it on the ground. And, and uh, at that point in the official commentary, Mars Callahan uh, says, oh, yes, uh, something to the effect of, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm so glad that uh, we were able to include this in the, uh, in the movie. Um, because, you know, some, something about uh, title of the movie on the screen right now. Something about, oh, yeah, you know, uh, smoking in movies. We don't want kids to think it's cool to smoke. Something like that, right? So his ethical universe is, as a filmmaker, is this. Um, if the Danny Doyle character would have lit that cigarette and smoked it, there are, you know... Uh, ethical liabilities to that you don't want to you don't want to send that message uh but the hero the hero of your movie uh using the n-word in a way that really isn't that funny and is kind of pig-headed and in a way that the movie is uncritical of using the n-word right at the beginning of the movie uh as our introduction to him that's okay hey we'll open the movie with that but uh uh you know god forbid he would light a cigarette and I'm not against smoking in, in movies, by the way. I mean, um, how can you, I mean, look at what Sharon Stone does with that thing in Basic Instinct, and how can you be against smoking in movies? I, it's a prop like any other, is what I'm saying. But I just think that, I mean, we call that, uh, um, um, you know, inconsistent logic, right? Um, don't want to see kids, don't want kids to see your protagonist smoking, but, um, you know, making light of what is a really ugly word that I really don't think white people should have escaping their lips. Um, hey, who gives a shit? So, you know, there's that. Uh, okay. I, I just, that was bothering me when I listened to the uh, commentary. Because <laughs> it's so backwards. Now, the palmentary character uses the N-word later in the movie. I think he uses it a couple of times. Um, makes a reference to uh, drug money uh, in the bathroom. But, well, perhaps the characters are drug dealers, so that would be fine. But it's okay to have the villain 
you know, use the word because the point there is he's a bad guy, you know. Of course he's going to use racial slurs. But when your hero is also doing it, uh, gleefully doing it, you know, that, that they, there's a logic problem here. That syllogism isn't coming out right. Anyway, one of the jokes I made to Jeremy when we were on uh, Google Chat is uh, <laughs> uh, that I always imagine when I watch the movie that this scene will somehow play out like the Randy Quaid scene in Brokeback Mountain where he he mentions to Jake Gyllenhaal that he saw him sort of, um, uh, you know, prancing around uh, in a in love in a love splendor with uh, with the uh, Heath Ledger character. <laughs> the guy's got a mustache like the Randy Quaid character. Not a bad actor, this guy either. So this is really more of a save the cat, right? We, we, we're supposed to see that he's a, a he's a gambler, a pool hustler, but he has a heart of gold, right? He the guy assumes that just because Johnny's a pool hustler, he's going to help him, uh, you know, steal from the company. And Johnny's like, you know, no, I don't, I don't do that. I just, you know, I, I just call black guys the n word to their face and laugh about it. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, it, it's I shouldn't make too much of that. It's 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 a, it's a bad joke and in, in an otherwise fun movie. It's I'm not I'm not on a high horse about it. I just thought it was the logic was inconsistent. There's Rod Steiger. But um that whole stuff with the construction scene, that's one of the things I'll point out as one of the things I love about independent movies is uh and they mention it on the official commentary. Uh you know, they were allowed for a certain amount of time, a short amount of time to get their actor, the star of the movie on the set or on this construction. It was obviously a real construction site and he was really using the tools. Evidently, he's not very handy with power tools in real life, Callahan. So those, uh, uh, those, uh, you know, he didn't have to act like he didn't know what he was doing. He really didn't know how to use that skill saw, apparently. And it, and it does sort of look, look like it. Uh, uh, if you're into power tools, he definitely, uh, was uh, could have had uh, a better grip on that skill saw, but um, but that's that's one of the great things about independent film is um, you know you, they just were allowed to do that. And, I mean I mean obviously big budget movies studio movies do that too, but it's it's the way something like that can really open up a, a small four million dollar movie like this is um, great. Michael Rosenbaum, I'm a big fan of his. I was, I'm a, I'm a huge Superman fanatic, and he was in Smallville. Ernie Reyes Jr., uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. If you're into martial arts, he's also a serious martial artist. Oh, well, he did martial arts in, in The Secret of the Ooze. But um, nice to see some of these actors that I've liked elsewhere getting a role. Uh, John Paul Salisbury plays Moose here. There's a lot of far-fetched stuff, and it's meant to be far-fetched. It's meant to be farcical. These are sort of the the comic relief characters. Um, there's a Southwest Cues banner in the background, one of the m- more respected and sought-after uh, custom cue makers. Um, yeah, there's a lot of far-fetched stuff. The idea that someone like Michael Rosenbaum would be playing a man who's this scary-looking moose... Uh, and stiffing him, you know, losing a hundred dollars to him or whatever it was, and stiffing him and playing on Ozies. Uh, that doesn't look like a guy who gets stiffed in a pool room very often, but uh, I'll allow it since uh, the whole point is that these are sort of outrageous, goofy, juvenile characters. 
by the way, the there's a few of those in the movie. Um, uh, those uh, what what you call gaffes or bets you can't win. And uh, don't ever try and win money like that. You know, the whole thing with I can't touch your glasses, you can't touch mine, and he puts his glass over the other guy's shot glass. Um, don't ever try and win money like that. These gaffes that are based on sort of someone misunderstanding the bet or some sort of semantic trick, it's just stupid. Now, there's there's one of them in the movie that, actually, the movie's whole climax sort of hinges on a on a big pool match where where he does that uh he he wins using a gaff and it's 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 just not a very satisfying way that he wins <laughs> he wins on his wits i guess the point is and not because he's better than the rick schroeder character necessarily um and that's what you hear like callahan is a real player in real life and so you do have a lot of realistic stuff here comes the cigarette uh now if he would have smoked the cigarette that would have been you know awful you don't want your kid to see that but if he would have gone on a tirade about you know the n-word uh bring the whole family stupid okay yeah the, uh, callahan in real life is a is a something of a serious amateur player and that's why you know he's making a movie about pool and um and you can tell when he shoots that he he really uh, knows how to play uh so you get a lot of the lingo that you would hear from actual competitive players in a pool room uh, uh the uh phrase you want to play some is uh, ubiquitous i think just about everywhere Callahan does look a little awkward when he shoots uh, at the table, and the reason is not because he doesn't know how to play. He clearly does. The reason he looks awkward is the same reason even professionals, some professionals look awkward, some professionals who are very tall. Callahan, I, th- I believe, is like six, uh, I th- already said, is like 6'5 or something. Uh, and the table is, is, you know, he has to lean down a long way to get to the table, and often, you know, players have to who are that tall have to spread their... Uh, sort of legs a little bit wider apart than uh, maybe someone my height has to. And uh, so they, they look a little bit awkward, like they're going to crush the table, like like there's some sort of praying mantis. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's cool. It's cool that he, you know, he is one of the actors in the movie who didn't have to learn any, didn't have to learn how to play pool. He, he's already a player. He's working on a movie now in pre-production called... Uh, poker junkies he's also a poker player evidently so we'll see if uh, that improves upon the sort of um uh the sort of movie we got here with pool hall junkies i want i want to point out um and actually I, i'll give jeremy um my uh correspondent credit for this because he he's the one who really sort of obliquely sort of brought it up and i and then we sort of noticed it together that here in the first leg of the movie, um, uh, we're still sort of in the, the first uh, uh, section of the movie. We spend a lot of time with these side characters. I think there are too many side characters. I think there are, you know, these, uh, they try with the Tang character and Rosenbaum, they try to tie them into the plot, uh, especially toward the end. But it, it's a little forced, I think. Uh, and we spend an awful lot of time establishing the brother and Tang and the guy with the glasses and 
um, establishing what they're like and how, you know, how they're different from Johnny. They're a little more juvenile. He's a little more adult, as we see here, uh, betting down with uh, Allison Eastwood, the son, uh, the son, uh, pardon me, the daughter of Clint. Um, and when I was Googling her, evidently she did a, a Playboy spread years ago, which I didn't know about. Uh, she, she's quite lovely. Uh, I wish I would see her in more things. Uh, maybe, maybe I just haven't caught the things she's in, but um, I think she's quite good here. Uh, anyway, yeah, we spend an awful lot of time with those side characters, and my whole thing with those, that is they're just not interesting. Um, Johnny is an interesting character. His story, he's the hero of the movie. This should be, you know, I, I, so here's how I think the plot would be better, right? If it were really you know, if the brother and the relationship with the brother didn't come into play so much uh, in the home stretch of the movie, if um, if there was more of a of a rivalry between maybe Johnny and the Rick Schroeder character, who is, uh, I think Rick Schroeder is sort of does a good job in this movie for having such a one dimensional um, character with not a lot of depth uh, up until like the final moment uh, of the of his screen time. But uh, Johnny's plight, Johnny's relationship, uh, his divided loyalties between one world, between the world of his girlfriend here, who's sort of upper class and too good for him, quote unquote, and the pool room world from which he comes, uh, his relationship with uh, Paul Monteri, uh versus his other father figure, the Nick character, um, and this idea of a bifurcated loyalty and, and him trying to navigate that, and also the rivalry, you know, maybe... Maybe Joe uh, is is uh, or not Joe, but may, maybe the rivalry with the uh, Brad, the Rick Schroeder character, the pro, uh, who is sort of the underboss uh, or the the lower level villain, uh, if this were a video game, uh, to the Paul and Terry character. Uh, maybe you know playing it up as more of a rivalry, like in the Hustler with um, Fats and Eddie. You know, uh, Eddie. Uh, remember structurally, uh, Eddie plays Fats at the beginning and plays him closer to the end of the movie. And it's, uh, it's what he goes through in between that, um, that matters. And, and the stakes in the second time that he plays Fats are more than money. It's about, uh, catharsis almost. And, uh, and the Johnny character actually is an interesting character in this movie. I would have liked to see something more like that. This whole thing with the brother and the brother plays guitar and the brother's a musician and, oh, they missed his gig. And uh, here we are at the pawn shop. He's pawning his cue. The brother's got his guitar out of hock. Um, you know, this. Uh, I think Michael Rosenbaum is so good, and I, I hate to say it, but I, I think his character is, um, you know, it, it's, it, to, it's just not is interesting these side characters as Johnny and we spend so much time with them it, it, you know we spend a fair amount of screen time just watching them horse around um, in the first leg of the movie this is good stuff uh, uh, I, I do think Callahan is a, a swell actor and um, boy do they look alike <laughs> these two and this is real chemistry you know I mean this is real brotherly chemistry that they have um, it's a nice sort of cut there too uh, to move into the tournament sequence here. Um, Callahan has good chemistry with Eastwood, too. There's a scene later on. I'll point out how good their their chemistry is. I, I like him as an actor. I think he'd be really good in, in um, 
like as a as a villain as a serial killer in a movie uh like a big budget hollywood movie i think he he looks i mean he's handsome he has that leading man quality but he looks kind of um he doesn't look crazy but he he looks like he could play crazy very well like think of uh in david fincher's seven the kevin spacey character the the serial killer um i, I think i think he'd play a great serial killer so i so i'm i'm you know i'm not down on this movie at all i do think it's a lot of fun i i you know i like that it's kind of about pool and uh it gets a lot of stuff about pool and competitive pool and pool players right um but the stuff it it sort of misstates or gets wrong or misrepresents is not stuff that is misrepresented for you know well we're telling a story here this is a movie you have to fudge things it's stuff that's sort of puzzling to me and I'll, i'll point it out um, you know, like someone carrying their cue stick in a guitar case. I'll, I'll explain that later. <laughs> or the movie should explain it, for goodness sake. A couple things here. Uh, this is Mike Massey. Mike Massey is, you may have seen him on ESPN. He's a world-class player for many years, a professional player. Uh, that's a ugly plaid coat uh, jacket that he's wearing uh, with the formal attire here. And obviously, Old House and Pool Tables getting some product placement. Along with Brunswick and Diamond, uh, they and maybe Murray, they are one of the uh, one of the better uh, pool table manufacturers. Although you don't see Old House in tables as often as you see uh, Gold Crowns, Brunswick Gold Crowns in pool rooms. Anyway, at least I don't. A um, couple things here. Uh, this is supposed to be a professional tournament. Um, and in a real professional event, uh, whether it be nine ball or anything else, there's still a couple where they wear formal attire. I think the World Championships of Straight Pool, they still wear, uh, both men and women wear formal attire. But um, generally, you wouldn't see the formal attire so much uh, anymore. Um, I think the World Championships of Straight Pool is maybe the one major one where they still do it. They have dress codes, but not formal attire. And the other thing is... Um, the movie's doing this for a reason, but if you go to a professional tournament, um, there I don't think there's any real professional tour anymore to speak of. The, the MPBA was around until, I think, the 90s, but um, there probably are... I mean, I think there's the Seminole Tour in Florida, so there are stuff like that, but a major sort of tour, I don't know if it still exists. Um, but, but yeah, uh, if you go to a real professional tournament, the field, the field of players, the professionals who are there are not going to be as aged as presented here. I mean, the guy who plays, uh, uh, the guy standing next to Callahan in soft focus in the background there, that guy is, um, is way older than uh, most professionals that you'd see uh, at a, if you went to a major tournament. And the movie's doing that for a reason because they want to show the, the disjunction. They want to show the difference that Johnny's younger and doesn't have the gravitas that the professionals at that higher level to which he aspires have. Um, so they, they, the movie, I think wisely, denotes that with the formal attire and with the guys with gray hair being the professionals while Johnny seems like a whippersnapper compared to them. Um so we get that, but it's worth mentioning that, it, I mean, if you just went to Google right now and found the, the top 10 uh, ranked uh, professional nine ball players in the world right now, or now they're playing a lot of 10 ball. So, you know, the, the top 10 uh, nine ball, 10 ball players in the world right now, uh, I'd be surprised if even 
one of them were over 45 years old. Um, there's a, there's a few guys in their 50s, uh, Earl Strickland, who 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 are who have hung around and and kept it competitive. You know, uh, they're in the top 25. I think Archer's Johnny Archer's probably over 40 by this time. Um, but uh, most, I mean, the top 10 nine ball players in the world, um, I think most of them are going to be in their 20s and 30s. So. Uh, by the time you get to the age of some of these guys uh, in the movie that they're depicting here, uh, you're sort of washed up. Uh, generally, uh, I think people play their best pool in their in their 30s, professionals, but uh, often it's in their early 20s too. Um, and maybe the eyes go after that. I didn't say much about Mike Massey. Oh, oh the nicknames for the players are are sort of if you're. Uh, they're sort of the names of famous uh, road players and, and professionals, Boston Shorty and St. Louis Louis. So Mike Massey was the guy with the plaid jacket and the mustache. He's uh, uh, perhaps still the world's finest trick shot artist. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. He does this thing where he spins balls with his fingers, and it's it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen on a pool table. Uh, you have to see it even if you don't like pool. It's unbelievable. Um, but he's, uh, he was playing, I think he had a good moment there with the, the guy who was the Greek stereotype and he said, you Greek bastard, uh, he's playing, I don't think the real Mike Massey would say that, but he's playing a guy a lot like himself, gregarious and friendly. And, um, uh, when I worked at a pool room, uh, years ago, he, uh, there was a big professional event and he, uh, I, I, on a couple of occasions, I just got to see him relating to people and signing autographs and talking to people. And he's um, very much like in the movie. He's very, very nice, very nice man. So it's not surprising that he agreed to uh, be part of this movie. And he's a very good uh, little actor, too. Um, I hate the girlfriend character, the friend of, of Tara, um, it's a little bit of a trope too. Your the hero's girlfriend has uh, girlfriend has to have a friend who's a cunt, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know what this character does except underscore the what we already know about Tara. You know, uh, she she says out loud what we already get that they're from two different worlds, and Tara's probably you know too good for him, or from a different social strata. Um, and again, Johnny uses his wit to dismantle someone uh, who's trying to put him down or trying to defeat him in a sense. Evidently, this guy with the beard that looks like a fake beard but actually is a real beard, this guy was a, uh, uh, I think they say in the commentary, some sort of drama teacher or acting teacher. Um, it's a funny little moment. I, I think you see Callahan has a real facility with a certain kind of comedy and comedic acting. Um which is why he probably loaded his movie up with comedy. Uh, I don't think the comedy in the movie works quite as well as some of the drama. I think the movie would, should should just be a straight drama. It'd be more interesting. Um, I take money from other people's pockets, put it in mine. Um, the, the guy with the beard actually looks like Paul Mitchell, the world's the world famous uh, hairstylist. I have a Paul Mitchell hairdryer, I think. So there is Johnny with the flask, and we have our, our first appearance of... Uh, of walking. Just get a little water here. He gives walking a nice little entrance here. Uh, it really is great that they got these great actors to be in the movie. Without these actors, I don't think you have a movie that's 
frankly, as watchable. Um, the little bit about nice hair. I mean, it's all this. I mean, this whole sequence at the party is, I think, well written and fairly well directed. Um, there's a scene coming up by the stairs that I think is pretty, pretty well written. And the whole meeting here with Uncle Mike is, uh, I like this stuff. I, I think Walken handles it well. Um, I pity people who only know him from movies like Joe Dirt, um, where he, you know, he's in recent years has slid into self-parody. But uh, you realize there's a whole generation of people who have never seen The Deer Hunter or have never seen At Close Range. I mean, the guy is a is a serious actor, an Oscar-winning actor. And um, and I think the secret to his success is, you know, people say he's weird, he's bizarre. It's just, you know, anytime you have an actor who can, who has the chops, but also has the ability to give you line readings or give you a vibe that's unorthodox, you know, that's, you know, I, I call that interesting. That's interesting. And, and uh, he's just a, a fascinating actor. And I, I like the way he handles Uncle Mike. Um, you know, it's a vuncular, but also he's a little zany. You, you believe that this guy that Walken is, is giving us this, this portrayal of Uncle Mike, you believe that this guy would do some of the things he ends up doing some of the things he ends up doing late in the movie, or even in this scene coming up here, this, uh, 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 I think, uh, pretty, pretty fun little, uh, scene of the pool game here. Um, The actor with the scars on his face who uh, looks very familiar to you, he plays uh, Phil, um, is, I, I, you know, I thought I had written down his name here because I wanted to mention, I apologize, maybe I'll put it in the show notes. He's obviously a familiar face, uh, uh, one of those character actors that you see everywhere and is sort of good in everything or, or um, you know... Uh, and I, I sort of like that he's in this movie. And, and you know, with, with the red cloth on the pool table and the... Uh, um, I don't like red cloth on pool tables, uh, but it works in this sort of environment where it, it sort of pops with the, uh, the browns and the wood grain uh, sort of decor of this sort of Elks Lodge kind of uh, room. Uh, you see they, they taught walking how to shoot a little... I don't know, was that a, a balabushka you was shooting with? I saw it had a signature on the forearm. Um, Jeremy might know. Yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, red cloth on pool tables. It is cloth, not felt. Some bar tables have a more felt-like cloth, I think. And snooker tables, for sure, um, have a more felt-like cloth covering, but... This is, uh, you know, uh, a good pool table is going to have uh, cloth, woven cloth. Uh, but this whole environment reminds me of uh, Eyes Wide Shut and the Sidney Pollock scene where he's shooting pool and talking to Tom Cruise. It's the same sort of room. It, it's a red cloth pool table. And the guy, the guy whose name I um, failed to write down. What a great line reading. This one's for all the marbles. <laughs> I'll spare you a walking impression. Um, yeah, this guy, this guy right here, the character actor, he looks like Sidney Pollock a little bit from Eyes Wide Shut. So it's just very, you know, there are these little, <laughs> it's, it's almost weird. 
Um, Eyes Wide Shut came out, I guess, three years before this movie. Okay, so the trick shot, they go, they explain it fully in the official commentary, and it's, um, it is pretty cool that Walken obviously um, is not, doesn't have the best technique for shooting, but um, they taught him to shoot well enough to where he could execute that trick shot. Um, and uh, the story that Callahan tells in the commentary is basically that uh, he was probably trying to save film or something, and he just said, hey, Christopher, let's let's rehearse it, and then when you're ready, we'll we'll roll. And uh, Walken said, L- uh, "Shoot the rehearsal in case I make it." You know, and and it's and by the way, it's a hard shot. You know, people who know that trick shot, it's, it's sort of a you got to load it up with English. It's got to come off the rail, and it's a it's a timing shot. Uh, people who know that shot and have shot it for years aren't going to make it every single time, especially on a strange table. So um, that's that's no easy shot. You got to hit it just right. And um, you got to have a feel for it. And uh, you might want to rehearse it if you need to do it on command. Um, but Christopher Walken said, uh, hey, hey, shoot the rehearsal. And so that was the rehearsal. So when um, Callahan lights up behind Walken and starts clapping his hands and he's delighted that, that Walken made the shot, it's uh, sort of a genuine reaction. And uh, it's a cool story, you know, because uh, Walken um, is, is not exactly a world-class pool player. You can tell just by the way he... Uh, handles uh, handles the cue stick, so um, you know it's not so much confidence; it's just experience as an actor, knowing you know, no, 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 you we could be here all day uh, <laughs> with me trying to make this shot. Uh, shoot the rehearsal in case lightning strikes. The movie is um, well written from start to finish in the sort of uh, screenwriting handbook, you know, uh, screenplays for dummies, uh, Blake Snyder, uh, in, in the sort of uh, textbook sense, it's a well-written movie. Uh, the setups and payoff, you know, they just set up, set up uh, the Mercedes. Uh, uh, they uh, sort of introduce characters in conventional ways that work uh, mostly. Um, the structure of the movie is... is um, is is uh, sort of spot on from a textbook perspective so it's well written in that sense it's some of the dialogue that doesn't make as much sense to me the specific dialogue uh, callahan when he shot the shot there shot it left uh, uh, uh not left-handed but one-handed and uh good players can shoot very well one-handed uh i i can even make a few shots uh, one-handed um if someone ever tries to gamble with you and says they'll play with one hand don't uh, if, unless you know how to play, don't play. <laughs> Sometimes people play each other one-handed. Uh, I had a pal I used to play uh, one pocket with one-handed. Uh, we got pretty good, too. <laughs> so, um, this this douchebag guy with the stupid jokes who's hitting on Tara... Um, Again, I, I think they play it for comedy. I think it'd be more interesting if he, if Tara's kind of sort of realizes that she has options and is sort of, you know, not disgusted with the guy, but sort of attracted to him a little bit. Or, or maybe he's not a, a, you know, we know immediately there's no way she would even, you know, do anything with this guy. But what if, you know, what if he was more appealing? I don't know. Um, this scene here, okay, notice the butler coming into position just at the right moment. He's actually going to stand there and wait until uh, the actor who is punched, boom, uh, knocks him over. Uh, 
<laughs> Walken's reaction is what's priceless there. Again, the flask with Johnny. Uh, it's a nice little character touch because they don't they don't uh, call it out. Okay, so that whole scene by the stairs, uh, that whole that whole scene by the stairs, um, I think is, is an example. It's one of my favorite scenes in terms of writing. I just like the way it's set up. You have Tara there who's looking for Johnny. She doesn't know where he went. She's she's nervous about him meeting Uncle Mike, um, all this anxiety. And uh, and finally, and, and meanwhile, she's trying to fend off this asshole. And then uh, Johnny comes down, and so you have that, that confrontation, that discussion with the asshole still standing there. Then Uncle Mike comes down and gives Johnny the money, and she doesn't know that they've already met and they've been playing pool together. She doesn't want Johnny playing pool, and uh, and she doesn't want Uncle Mike to think bad things about Johnny, and yet they've already met and and uh, sort of are simpatico, and, and the same things that Tara doesn't like about Johnny, the pool playing, the gambling, are what Uncle Mike digs. And so you have that wonderful moment where he says, this, this is your Johnny. This is, oh my God. And he's delighted and she's disgusted. That's well set up. That's, you can't say that that's poorly written. Um, uh, I don't like that they put a, a, a sort of pratfall with the butler sort of they undercut it with that comedic uh, little thing there I, I think that they should have played that more you know straight you're going to have two big sort of speeches here uh, this first one from rod steiger this was his last movie unfortunately he was uh i'm a huge steiger guy he's a I mean, he's he's killing it here. I mean, this tiny movie, they get him to do it, and he just kills it. Uh, that hat looks a little bit ridiculous on him. I'm not sure why he was wearing it. He's not wearing it later in the movie. But, um, I mean, that's, I mean, I buy that whole speech he gives there just because of the performance, uh, right? A lesser actor, that dialogue doesn't work. I mean, um, but he, I, I really buy everything he says there. I mean, you see just the the way he gets worked up you can see how much he cares about Johnny. That relationship versus this sort of dysfunctional father figure relationship with Paul and Terry, and uh, he's also great in this scene. I, I buy everything he's, you know, that is really, um, I think, more what the movie should have been about, if uh, you want my opinion. Paul and Terry has a wonderful ability to convey complete rage and anger and seething without really contracting the muscles in his face very much and while being very sort of um very chill you know um he sort of even when he gets angry and speaks through his teeth it's it's sort of he's he, he there's this serenity to him i just love his his whole um uh, gestalt as an actor i i just uh He's such a great screen presence that, you know, this this sort of brute masculinity with, uh, combined with this very sort of gentlemanly, um, uh, I have already used the word gravitas, so, uh, but I guess that's what I mean, you know, he's a very unique person, uh, actor, and uh, Jeremy thinks that uh, Callahan's acting is sort of bad in this scene. Um, and I, th I think it's okay. Um, I don't think it's so bad. I think Palminteri kills it. And, and, and earlier and later in the movie, he's going to do it too with that toothpick. The way he uses that as a, uh, uh, Palminteri, I mean, uses it as a tiny little wooden exclamation point on everything he's saying. That's really cool. I mean, it's just a little bit of business, you know? Um, if you're into, uh, 
grappling or jujitsu or submission wrestling, you you might have noticed that Johnny's going to come in here uh, into the scene here with um, a busted wrist. But really, uh, it kind of looked like uh, when Palminteri was, uh, you know, had his arm behind his back there, he, it looked like he was cranking the elbow, right? Hmm. Email me if you think he was cranking the elbow there. They had he had a big thick jacket on, but it's not so bad here. But later in the movie, the makeup job that they have on his bruised wrist is horrible. Uh, it looks like he's, um, you know, it, it looks a little bit like Grimace from, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the McDonald's character. They're always at this diner. These guys are always at this diner, and that's another sort of pool room thing. People who are creatures of pool rooms, you know, early in the morning, the, you know, they'll close the pool room at uh, 3 a.m. or whatever the fuck, and, and they'll end up at a place just like that, a 24-7 greasy spoon, you know. So this guy's not a very good actor. I forgot what they said about him on the official commentary, but it's something, you know... Once again, Johnny's going to, you know, a plot point is going to come through via a gaffe, this sort of semantic-based uh, trickery that he uses to win a bet. And, you know, you should never try and win bets based on this kind of semantic uh, trickery. It's just, ugh. I think I think in the screenplay they just maybe they just wrote swarthy guy because anybody who's got even if you don't look like this guy anybody who's got that shirt and that uh, uh, medallion or necklace is gonna look swarthy. The movie um, with the characters does kind of goofy things, uh, not goofy, but it just kind of uh, you wonder about you know the the wardrobe. I mean, look at uh, what Callahan is wearing here. Uh, sort of that's. Top coat is from the Ali Sheedy Breakfast Club collection, I guess. Or, oh, you know what it looks like? It looks like uh, Cusack's, uh, what Cusack wears in Say Anything when he's got the radio above his head. Watch how bad this guy's acting is. I bear him no ill will, but he's terrible. No matter what you say. <laughs> Very mannered uh, laugh. <laughs> I mean, he's... Um, I'd say he's a cartoon character, but, I mean, uh, cartoon characters are sort of uh, better than he is. I mean, it's just totally... Mm. But that that might be another example, or when he's actually selling the RVs. Are those RVs or campers? What do they call those? I'm a city boy. Um, when, when he's actually selling those pre-manufactured homes or mobile home, whatever the fuck... Um, they do another sort of fish out of water thing with Johnny. And I'm a, I've said this a few times. I mean, I'm a big fan of fish out of water scenes in movies. Um, the, my favorite being the one I always use as an example is a, a place in the sun when Montgomery Clift enters the mansion and even the butlers ignore him. He doesn't belong there. And, oh, that one has pool in it too, because he finds his way to the pool room. He shoots a trick shot, like a three rail kick shot. It knocks, it knocks a ball in. And just then, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor walks by and goes, uh, Ooh, you must have had a misspent youth. Love that movie. Um, but yeah, they did one at the mansion there with Johnny. They did the same sort of thing. He's a fish out of water. He jokes uh, with that guy, uh, money out of your pocket. You know, he doesn't fit in, but he's sort of a, 
you know, an eccentric guy and doesn't belong. But uh, Uncle Mike is of that world, but is also kind of an eccentric guy. So he bonds with Johnny. That's good character stuff. You know, that's 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 solid. That's not bad. So here we're having this um, otherwise unnecessary scene to set up Tang and Tang's financial situation, his hopes and dreams, so that he can engineer and sort of surreptitiously or secretly back Johnny in the climactic uh, match. They're, they're playing on a bar table here. Um, that bar table looks like it has pretty good cloth, better than the average bar table, I think. Oh, Jeremy was, and Jeremy is, uh, again, my, my friend Jeremy that I emailed with, he, he's not the only person I've ever heard complain about this. Um, one of the things the movie gets wrong in terms of pool is um, you have these guys um, using graphite cues or these cues, cue sticks that you'd buy at like Walmart. Um, I love this little Jay and Silent Bob act that the supporting character here does with this little person. Um, a lot of the jokes at the house party here work for me. Uh, this Aqua Velva bit that Ernie Reyes Jr. is doing with this kid, he's trying to convince the kid that Aqua Velva is uh, what he should be uh, musking up with. I mean, that, that that's solid. I like that. That's I'll, I, I think that's funny. That little bit there where the little person just, you know, uh, I like that shit. The fact, I mean, in, another independent film thing, right? They just, they, they're, uh, this movie was shot in Sacramento, Salt Lake City, and I think, that's it but the, i mean they obviously just they got access to a house and invited all their friends and um you know uh, shot some stuff and of course ernie reyes jr is going to end up in the jacuzzi with that kid this movie was probably like 85 minutes and and it does seem a little bit padded with um uh, you know i was complaining earlier about the supporting characters and how much they're dwelt upon uh, how much time we spent with them. This guy with the glasses, um, if you took him out of the movie, um, you know, it, nothing would be lost. Um, it, it, the movie is sort of a, a buddy movie, and and it wants to be more a buddy movie, and, and, and I think it, it, it should be more focused on, it should be exclusively focused on Johnny. Uh, you know, but we're getting scenes like this, you know. You didn't have... Um, it, it amounts to a distraction, I think. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of a goofy, cheap joke, too. Um, you know, if you read Dan Savage's column, you or you've been alive long enough, <laughs> you probably know that it's not that weird of a kink to have a, a woman or a man who likes to have, you know, pressure on the neck during sex, you know. But I, the the point is that I get the point of the scene is that we or the joke is that we learn that the character uh, with the glasses uh, I think his name's Philip Glazer the actor um, we learn that that he's we've already had it established that he's sort of hoity-toity and uh, he freaks out uh, he dated a girl who had all these teddy bears and it freaked him out um, okay great we know that about him and we get a little joke out of it but. Um, you know, this movie isn't really about him, uh, and uh, he he doesn't matter. Again, you could take these, you could take him and the guy standing next to him. They're out. They're good actors. You take them out, and it's the same movie. Here goes Tang. This right stuff, uh, uh, take on the right stuff thing, uh, but they only have two guys. <laughs> 
Yeah, okay, so the graphite cues. You wouldn't see real good competitive players using cues that are not made of wood. I, the only time I've ever seen a professional level player using cues that are not made of wood uh, is uh, uh, Earl Strickland for a period of years, who's a top professional player still today. Uh, I think he used a brake cue because he was sponsored by the Q-Tech company. I think he used a brake cue that was made of something other than wood. It was white. Uh, this is years ago. But generally, you don't see them using cues. And you don't see, like Brad here, played by Rick Schroeder. Again, I really like Rick Schroeder. Um, he's, look what he's holding. He's holding a fucking uh, Walmart cue stick a graphite it doesn't even hold chalk you can see that it doesn't hold the chalk right why did they put these cue sticks in the i mean even in the color of money, in the color of money they make a big deal of showing that no 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 you know eddie's a serious pool guy and he's giving this balabushka to vincent he's giving him a real cue stick that a real player would use and these guys are, are, are using you know the house cues at the pool room they're shooting in right now would be better than what he's what Schroeder's got in his hands here. Schroeder doesn't look bad in terms of his uh, pool technique either. Um, and it, it's just, uh, I, I alluded to it earlier, it's weird that he carries... His, uh, maybe they're trying to do a take on Antonio Banderas in Desperado, who had a guitar case, but he carried guns in it, uh, carried rifles in it, I think, or machine guns. Uh, Schroeder carries his cue stick... Uh, by the way, a cue stick that's a piece of shit, so he could just carry it in his hands. He doesn't need a case, but he puts it in a guitar case. But wouldn't it make more sense if the character who plays the guitar carried his cue sticks in a guitar case? Especially since, didn't he pawn his guitar at one point or got it out of hock? Uh, you know, you could do a whole riff with that and have it make sense. But no, uh, Rick Schroeder, who's supposed to be a, a, a professional level, uh, a professional pool player, uh, is carrying a cue stick in a guitar case where the guitar, I don't know much about guitar cases, but I can tell you that guitar case is probably worth more than the cue stick he's using. Uh, why, you know, you, <laughs> um, so that, that's, and, and people have pointed this out, you know, people I know for years since this movie came out have been pointing this out. I mean, it's just, it seems to be a sticking point. It seems to be annoying for people, um, even who play pool casually, who know enough, to know that, um, you know, only fucking eggs would use uh, cue sticks <laughs> that uh, that are graphite or whatever the plastic is that they, you know, whatever Schroeder's got in his hands there. So the spot he's giving him, they do a good job of explaining it and showing what the spot is and why it's sort of... Um, not what it seems. Um, they play eight ball, and you're allowed to take four balls off the. And as uh, you're four balls off the table after the break, um, uh, you pick any four balls you want, and that's the spot Schroeder's giving him. And as the Rosenbaum character, Danny, as he says, uh, "No, all you're doing is giving your getting your balls out of the way." I I like so that he can so that the other guy can run out. Heaven knows I'm a redneck gigolo. Boy, I mean, maybe you should sing a song that is more applicable to what we're seeing on screen. That little moment with Tara driving by, sort of pining for Johnny still, but not wanting to um, reconcile yet is uh, poignant. I like that. And the, we're going to have a nice shot of, like, the moon overhead that they were able to get. Um, 
yeah, this whole thing with him being a musician and playing a gig, it's just, uh, you know, it just seems like extra that they stuck in. Um, let's see. I mean. It is kind of funny that the only people in the audience are the buddy who's rocking out. He's a, he's a good friend. You see, he's a good friend. He's rocking out. And then uh, what appears to be um, some sort of Native American gentleman in a in a vest who maybe just, you know, is the bartender and walked over because he had nothing else to do. Rick Schroeder. Uh, I want to talk about the look of the movie and the cinematography in a, in a minute. Um, and just because uh, it might be one of my bigger... Um, I don't know, um, reasons why I don't think, why I think the movie had potential to be way better than it is. I, again, I think it's fun. I don't think it's a, a bad, I wouldn't call it a bad movie at all, but uh, I think it just, it just had a lot, especially given the cast, uh, given the subject matter, uh, and the fact that Callahan is educated about the subject matter. Um, I just think it had the potential to be so much better than it is. So I'll talk about the cinematography. This is probably Salt Lake City because um, it's snowing. <laughs> the villain is right here when we need him. Uh, oh, Rick Schroeder. Maybe I'll link to it uh, in the show notes. Fascinating guy. Um, there's an interview on YouTube where he tells a story. It basically, uh, he has been famous ever since... He can remember. There was never a time in his life that he can remember where he wasn't famous and having a public profile and being an actor. And so it just, he's had a very sort of weird, fucked up life. And his career has, you know, uh, gone away and come back at various times. Um, I thought he was excellent on NYPD Blue, but I, I loved that show. And uh, I thought he was great on it. Um, and I think he's great here. He's got a, you know, he, he looks like a good... He looks like somebody who would be a pro pool player. Um, but he's a fascinating guy. He's got all kinds of stories and just um, a weird, wild Hollywood life that he's led. Uh, it seemed like a nice guy, too, on this podcast that was interviewing him. He seemed like he was just a normal sort of dude. Now, here's something that the, the movie gets right about pool players or mentalities that you might find with or, or maybe just gamblers in general uh i think he's gonna say it in a moment um rosenbaum or he already said it probably uh, uh rosenbaum says um well i'm just gonna play this guy brad and get the money back uh and so they're pawning uh boyo's car here to uh, get the money and, and uh he says are you crazy this guy destroyed me and rosenbaum's character says uh max i destroy you that's that's what uh, gamblers and money players, that's how they think. It's like, look, if I can beat you, then I can beat, you know, uh, it, it's sort of a, a, a fallacy there. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. That little moment, I think, was uh, just to remind us that Walken is in this movie. I think, it, I mean, what was the real... Well, I guess it's, uh, yeah, no, they, they conveyed a useful bit of information there. This is another, um, uh, we're coming up on the, um, I alluded to it earlier, the uh, 
very good chemistry scene. Uh, this this scene has great acting all around, I think. Um, uh, the chemistry between Callahan and Eastwood is going to be very nice here. Uh, I'll explain why. Uh, this moment right there with, with Steiger, you see how he sees her, he notices her, he takes a breath, and he has this sort of weird, awkward, but gentlemanly moment where he hands him the keys and well, why don't I let you lock the place off lock the place up and uh, tips his hat to her as he as he walks out um, I like that moment I like what Steiger does there you know he doesn't overdo it I cut myself shaving that's like that that's I don't know you know comedy is the most subjective thing right but I like that joke <laughs> that's a funny joke uh what happened to your wrist? I, I cut myself shaving. Got a big cast on. Right, if, and, and if he needed, if his wrist was broken and he needed a cast on it, he would have been in excruciating pain at that diner scene, right? I mean, he, he was just kind of sitting there all chill. Um, watch them here. See how she says, I love you, and kisses him? And they're going to have a moment where they laugh at each other here, or they laugh at their situation. Uh, his, he, he looks anguished his, and so does she he tells her I'm a motorhome salesman watch how she laughs at him she's really laughing like he's laughing I don't know it just seems like really it, they, it helps that they're both good looking and they look like people who would really be a couple um, they're both tall um, you see how she's making fun of him now like uh, I don't know it seems like a really realistic relationship scene you know you're on the outs and then you know only seconds after they've made up they're able to laugh at it at their situation I mean it's just I don't know there's a realism to that scene and I, so I, I guess I'm saying more of that in this movie right more of that kind of stuff I love that they're <laughs> they go to their hangout right and and they're groping these chicks <laughs> that's pretty great uh and and the fact that they know just where to find Joe and Brad Apparently what Brad does all day as a professional player on the professional tour is uh, hang out at wherever the fuck that place was uh, with Joe and those two chicks, which, which isn't bad. I mean, Putting the money on the lights, that's a, that's a thing um, that uh, I think we see in both The Color of Money and, and uh, The Hustler. Of course, another you know another offense to uh, realism that pool players will notice is his his buddy there um, has a calculator, and <laughs> he gives them the money that he's just won from you know getting paid for the game, and uh, and he and he and he's adding it in the calculator. Says, "Oh, you almost got enough money." I have never seen anyone in a pool room, uh, whether they're winning or losing. Uh, anyone who's a money player is always going to know exactly how much they're up or down um, and without a calculator. At this point, the houseman would tell him to not sit on the table, um, <laughs> you know, flick the lights. Leaning on the table's okay, the way Palminteri is, but uh, sitting on the slate? No, no, no. I mean, Palm and Terry looks positively demonic here. It's just great. Let me, um, oh, it just kills me when I see people sitting on, especially the corner of the table like that. Gee whiz. 
if you've ever worked in a pool room, um, and if you haven't, you're lucky. But if you ever worked in a pool room, that the the actor who's sitting on who was sitting on the the table uh, looks like exactly the kind of douchebag who's always sitting on a table. Um, I can't stand that they did that. I'm going to talk about the cinematography, but I, I can't stand that they did that moment right there. Um, now that that's one that even gets me mad. It's such a a cliche the moment where the hustler turns it on right turns on the afterburners and starts taking over uh is signaled i think they they did a mad tv sketch uh with will sasso where they made fun of it uh to no end that moment where paul Terry just looks at looks at his guy and nods and winks or something and and now it's time to turn it on i got i got a link to that mad tv sketch um i can't believe they did that that's so unnecessary. That's uh, good stuntman work, leaping over the bike there and nicely edited so that we get Schroeder. They do a, a Goodfellas thing here. Um, they're handheld, obviously. Oh, this this shot, looking up at Palmentary. It helps that it's Chaz Palmentary, right, to make it look more like Goodfellas. The movie doesn't emphasize the fact that he's just pulled a gun out. Um, I, I think that should, you know, talk about things that should, I mean, uh, pulling, uh, the moment he pulls the gun out should be like, oh shit, this just got real in a different way. It's funny that Steiger comes out, I don't think he should come out here. <laughs> like, it's sort of like an old man telling people to get off his lawn, you know, it just, it just, it, there's tonally, there's a thing. Um, if if uh, Danny actually owed a man like Palminteri that money, uh, and, and they made a big thing of Danny's cue stick, right? Uh, uh, he keeps it behind the counter. It's a nice cue stick. Uh, if he owes him five grand, and say the cue stick's worth nine hundred or twelve hundred, uh, Palminteri wouldn't break it. He would take it as collateral at the very least, or some sort of. Uh, you know, hold it hostage until the guy pays him. He wouldn't snap it in half. Now it's worthless to nobody. You know, he'd take the guy's car. I mean, I've, I've heard of things like that, you know. Um, well, you really see, now the average doorway is six foot, six foot eight. Now, the hair helps, but you see how, in that wide shot, you see how tall, there you go, you see how tall Callahan is. Jeez, I know that from my drywall days. The average door, or the doorways are generally six six feet eight. Uh, and he's, you know, his hair just about reaches the doorway, uh, the top of the, the door frame. Steiger looks tired acting this scene here. Maybe they wanted Allison Eastwood to be like in lingerie or something, and she says, "She said, look, I'll, I'll tie my, I'll show my midriff. I'll tie this in a knot. Okay, all right, come on, let's shoot. Enough already. <laughs> Stop trying to get me naked. I don't know that that happened. It'd be funny if it did." The problem that Johnny has at this point in the story and the problem that's going to take the story to its climax is his brother being in jail. Like, he's already gotten back his girlfriend, right? Uh, won her back. 
Uh, the, the problem is that he's, he's in jail, uh, his brother's in jail, and they need the bail money to bail him out. Now, the movie has a, a problem with, with stakes that is best described at uh, the end that we're coming up on here. Um, but I, I just think that it, the personal stakes for Johnny, um, you know, in The Color of Money and in The Hustler, you notice that the personal stakes are the real stakes at the climax of the movie. And it's about the hero's uh, relationships. Uh, there are arguably two heroes in The Color of Money, but it's about the relationships, the personal stakes. And um, with the exception of the girlfriend, the relationships are intact throughout this movie. I do like that it's not about getting the girl. He's kind of you know, apparently a guy in his 30s and he's already got a good girl. It's about hanging on to her and does he deserve her and those kinds of questions. So that that's slightly unconventional, you know. He's a, um, and I like that. Look at that horrible makeup job on his wrist. I mean, that it, it, it does look like the Grimace. When I saw this movie, it did have a theatrical uh, distribution. I saw it at a multiplex when it came out. And uh, my friend uh, Michael, who's a, a pool player, this moment right there, ripping off the jacket, the shirt says Hustler, that moment, uh, Michael almost, a bunch of us went, and uh, Michael almost, uh, and a couple other people, <laughs> almost jumped out of his seat. Uh, he thought it was so ridiculous that anyone would, first of all, wear that shirt uh, now, back then, they didn't have this line of apparel that people wear in pool rooms all the time now that says hustler or hustling. Um, but, I mean, I mean, he should, I mean, just wear a shirt that, it, it almost looks like uh, in The Color of Money, uh, Cruz wears a shirt that just has his name on it, Vince. And, uh, and Paul Newman says, hey, keep the shirt. It's a nice touch. I don't know. So his shirts would say protagonist, right? The movie, I really do think, would be better if it didn't vacillate from the comedic tone to the dramatic tone, right? That that those dramatic scenes with Steiger and Allison Eastwood, that's awesome, you know. Uh, um, the the jokes, and, and then it kind of abandons the that sort of humor. You know, sometimes it want at this point in the movie. Sometimes it want is that a Southwest cue? It looks like it. Sometimes it wants to be a Farrelly Brothers movie. Sometimes it wants to be a dramatic movie. So you know, let me finally, finally, finally talk about the look of the movie. Pool rooms are. I believe, inherently cinematic places. Uh, I think Scorsese understood that, and Robert Rawson understood that in The Hustler, and even lesser pool movies like The Baltimore Bullet with James Coburn and Bruce Boxleitner. Uh, yes, that's an actual movie, and those were its actual stars. Um, th those movies understood that um, if you walk into a good pool room, what you see is film noir. Uh, you see, think about it. You see these this line, these rows and, and columns of of uh, precisely uh, you know lined up tables. Each one has a bright pool 
of white light illuminating it. Um, each one that's being played on will have, you notice in all the pool room scenes, all the table lights are always on. Uh, but each, you walk in, you see film noir. Each one has a bright light, a pool of bright light illuminating, illuminating it. It's a dark place otherwise. There are shadows surrounding those pools of light. And the players, these shady money players, these uh, uh, whoever these characters are, they sort of move in and out of those shadows, in and out of the light and dark. And it's this very contrasty place, um, a pool room. And, uh, and that's what I mean by cinematic. And, and there's a beauty to it and, uh, and uh, a mystery to it, moving in and out of the light and dark. Like I say, here comes the... Uh, the thing with Tang. This is Tang, man. Uh, <laughs> you see, he'd be a good serial killer in a movie, wouldn't he? I like that they go sort of uh, steady cam here. They're, they're going to track him back in when he walks in, too. But anyway, uh, that cinematic quality that good pool rooms have, um, that film noir aspect, is completely, utterly, 100% absent from the look of this movie. Now, I'm not going to rag on the on the cinematographer. It's it's a it's a guy I really hadn't heard of, and I'm sure he's a, a good. I'm sure he's an artist, you know. But um, uh, this movie is lit in a way that is very bright. Everything is like a television commercial, you know, look, I mean, look how bright this is. I mean, it, when that pool room, wherever it is, is open for business, uh, I'm sure all the table lights aren't always on. I'm sure it isn't that bright. And it, you just, that look, that cinematic film noir look of a pool room is not in this movie. The, so, so the natural cinematic potential of pool and pool rooms is not being exploited at all by this by the look of this movie and i just think it's unfortunate because it really is a beautiful game it really they really are can be beautiful places and uh you know even if you're not a good still photographer if you snap pictures of a pool room that's uh sort of lit in this film noir way you'll uh you'll take nice pictures you know um sort of naturally dramatic lighting but um you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that pool rooms are cinematic places, naturally cinematic places, if you saw this movie. Like, a real player would play better position on that nine ball. He didn't even try to play shape. He just he wanted to bank it for some reason. A lot of people banking balls in nine ball in this movie. <laughs> With music. Um, now, uh, I'm no expert on music, but I do know that uh, if you're making a movie uh, and you want to use licensed music, you have to pay for it. And it's expensive if you want to use a song like the James Brown song, uh, the payback that we have at the beginning of the film. And I think it's recapitulated and coming up here or the saliva song superstar. You have to pay for it. And when your movie's only $4 million, you know, you got to watch your, your nickels and dimes. And so uh, what you have in this movie, and I can understand wanting to get your money's worth, but you have the James Brown song. Um, the total screen time that, we ha that we're hearing that song, that, that shot, that, sh or that uh, kiss shot uh, was used earlier in the movie. Um, uh, 
the total screen time for the James Brown song is probably three minutes. They probably play the whole song and then some. Um, the Saliva song is on, on screen for a long time. That uh, Who is that? Bill Withers who sings that song. Uh, that's a real, I love that shot off the point. Um, it's legal, too. You can do that. Um, but you really see that, I guess, the filmmakers were trying to get their money's worth. <laughs> with these songs because they are used for a long time and I'm just you know it's the kind of choice you make and is it is that what was best for the movie or is that just uh let's let's make sure we get our money's worth if we're going to pay for James Brown's track um I mean that's a that's a nitpick but uh well it's not necessarily a nitpick I mean they're I mean I I tend not to care about movies um <laughs> I tend not to care about music in movies as much as other people do. Uh, I tend not to enjoy scores as much as other people do. I'm not a musical person, but um, I, I love movies that don't have much music or have very sparse music. Um, so I, I'm more apt to view music uh, maybe heavy as something that's unnecessary or heavy-handed. Look at that moment with Palminteri. He puts his hand up because I bred him now. How the fuck does that mean? I mean, look at everything he says here is... Beautifully acted. Um, what he says to Walken, you know, that whole argument that he makes, I, I think Palminteri is a sympathetic villain, right? I mean, you could argue that he doesn't really deserve what Johnny's originally original betrayal of him. All he did was throw away a letter, you know. Um, but that, everything he says there about, I know how fast he can run, and maybe there, that's a callback to The Hustler where Eddie Felsen, Paul Newman, is, is talking about how um, being a good pool player is like being a jockey and knowing just when to let it go and when to pull back and how fast you can run. And um, Everything Paul Monteri says there about, I bred him, I taught him how to run. That whole relationship between Paul Monteri, Callahan, and even Steiger, the other sort of father figure, the, the good angel on, his, on, uh, on Johnny's shoulder. That relationship is, I think, should have been the movie. As it, as it is in The Color of Money, you know, the, the movie um, uh, is about Vincent and uh, Eddie. That's a crazy little moment. I wonder why they did that. Uh, uh, Walken says to Rod Steiger, Nick, please check to see that it's all there. He's saying, make you know, count the money. Make sure we're not we're not cheating each other. Uh, and Steiger just does a thumbs up from behind the counter. Like, does he have minions that go do? No, you have to go over and count the money. He's asked you to do something. Uh, <laughs> I guess they felt they had to do something like this with Walken. It is the lion speech here, the discovery chat. It is one of Walken's funnier walkenizing, which is a, a term for what he does that uh, I think Roger Ebert coined, uh, walkenizing. Uh, it, it is one of the better sort of, um, you know, self-parody things that um, I've seen done with Walken. Um, although the Saturday Night Live stuff that he's done has been amazing. Um I, I get off on the uh, the Continental, the where he plays the uh, 
the perverted guy in the in the suite. Um, now he 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 keeps it real here in a minute. He gets I mean he gets pretty intense, and it it is the trope a, a pep talk. Pep talk solves everything. Okay. Let's now other people have. Uh, in fact, I, I can't remember the last time I read a review of this movie or someone's user-generated comment on Amazon <laughs> that uh, uh, didn't mention this, uh, but stakes, stakes, stakes. Now, you have literal stakes in a movie about playing pool for money, gambling, obviously. You have personal stakes uh, for Johnny and even perhaps for Joe. Uh, and um, arguably even for Uncle Mike, but not really. Um, and look how bright this bathroom is. I have never seen a bathroom like this in any pool room. That is a that is an immaculate bathroom. That must be the women's bathroom in this pool room. <laughs> uh, here comes the superstar song. Okay, so let's think about stakes, right? Uncle Mike says, I'm a millionaire. I think it's a big deal for you, Joe, if you lose this match, because I'm a millionaire. I lose 80000 I get another 80000 But it's, a, it's not a big deal for me. I can, you know, he's, he's got a suitcase full of money. It's a big deal for you. Um, and again, many people have pointed out, that's a problem for your movie when not just the fact that that's the reality, but the fact that you actually have the character call it out. You actually have the character say, it's no big deal if my guy loses. Um, I lose 80000 I get another 80000 It's a big deal for you. Um, you almost sympathize more with Palminteri, the villain, in that moment because you realize, oh, he's right. Palminteri kind of does have more to lose. What what it does, though, it, so here's how you fix it, okay? Um, in my opinion, you make Uncle Mike not a millionaire, but you make him more like Eddie Felsen, or you make him a former millionaire who lost all his money and is trying to rebuild his life or something. You know, you make him more like Eddie Felsen. Eddie Felsen wasn't rich. He was hood rich, you know. <laughs> he, he was... He was Pool room rich. He had more. He's the guy who wears the jack, the suit jacket in the pool room. You know, he has more money than guys in the average pool room. Uh, but he's not rich. He's just got more money than people that he hangs out with. Watch. He should play position here. Uh, and he doesn't play shape. Look at this. He's playing for a lot of money, right? Playing for a ton of ton of money. This is an easy position shot. You just. He literally, it appears that he forgot to play position. And the shot that's on screen right there um, is actually, you know, somebody could actually take a cut at it, you know. <laughs> and that's not kosher either. He's, he's being coached by someone during the match, during the money game. It's not exactly kosher. You know, you know what? Rod Steiger should have told him is, why didn't you just fucking play shape on the A? Why didn't you just hit hit the ball, uh, hit, hit the cue so it rolled down 
three more inches and you take you, you have the the proper angle um okay now the cue he's using here is a jump cue and i've seen jump cues that are made of graphite or whatever like that that's that's probably a, a quality jump cue i think they're called the frog jump cues that look like that they mentioned on the official commentary that that moment with palmentary was like his first scene that when he showed up on set was that scene and so they they rolled and uh action and and he goes you take that you mother you know he does just what he did there and uh callahan tells a story where everybody was just like whoa <laughs> he's really here um depending on what part of the country you're in uh they might call this sharking what uh <laughs> what Callahan's doing here he's talking to you know they're playing for for some cheese and he's 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 chirping at him here uh you know uh but you get that in the other pool movies too look at how bright that pool room is now imagine if it was a little more cinematic they were shooting on film too they shot this on 35 1851 damn missed opportunity I think the movie kind of stops being fun uh around like 15 minutes ago <laughs> that's why i mean like it, uh, the first two acts it goes back and forth with the uh, fairly brothers movie scorsese drama buddy comedy you know and and it just forgets that it's a comedy here but it, it retains some of the tricks that it was using like johnny's gonna use a gaff to win this money game and i don't think he should win via a semantic trick you know I paid for your shot. Now it's my shot. That kind of makes sense, but that shouldn't be the way he wins. Um, Uncle Mike, a millionaire, pretending that he cares who wins. Um, yeah, because after, after he wins the match, Rick Schroeder says, uh, you didn't beat me, I got, I got hustled. Uh, no, you didn't really get hustled. You got sort of gypped um that, that was a that was a bullshit you know because after he does the the semantic trick palmentary says that's fucking bullshit yeah it, it, yeah it kind of is fucking bullshit i mean that that clearly wasn't what he thought he was agreeing to because no reasonable person would agree to that and anyway that's sort of, if you're playing by the rules, that's not how innings work in a... Oh, Jesus. He can't do that. That's kind of true. That is kind of bullshit. Now, see, it shouldn't work like that. He goes, here's what my brother owes you. It's kind of unfortunate, too. It's about to get rowdy in this motherfucker. It's kind of unfortunate, too, that the worst fate that can befall the villain is to be once again uh suffer at the hands of dangerous black men but whatever what does that mean i got hustled like you didn't beat me i got hustled and then he's look at that maybe you did maybe you didn't no, he didn't. He didn't get hustled. He didn't get beat. He got cheated. I don't know. And we have the James Brown song again because it's expensive. 
she is pretty. Um, and they pay off the car here. Uh, now that is a crazy nice car. Um, I've gotten flack for talking about cars in movies though. SL five hundred baby. And they, and they they make the little the peeling out noise even though they clearly like drove away at five miles per hour. Now he's in the tux there so that we know that he's become a professional, but that's not as, I don't know. They act like he, he won the girl at the end too, but he had already won her earlier in the movie. You know, movies weren't doing this as much as they are now these days. Uh, this is, uh, you know, over a decade ago, uh, this movie comes out. Movies weren't doing credits stingers as much then, were they? Um, uh, this sort of this gag reel or this additional scene with the comedic characters feeling boobies. Uh, like I said, Fairly Brothers movie. And I don't know, Rosenbaum is actually kind of funny, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's even age appropriate that they're, you know, they're the early 20s, I guess they are. And this is more high school kind of. I don't know. I'm being hard on it. It's It's a little bit funny. I read on um, Wikipedia that, uh, and it, it was uh, referenced, uh, the reference was linked to a reputable source, I think it was Hollywood Reporter, um, uh, that uh, in recent years, uh, Callahan, Mars Callahan, uh, he is working on poker junkies, so he's uh, evidently doing okay, but uh, that in recent years he was, it said in and out, I've got it right here, in and out of a a wheelchair for a number of years. Uh, I think it was either cancer or um, uh, something with his kidneys. Uh, so uh, w w certainly wish him well. Um, if he's in pre-production on poker junkies, then I assume he's doing okay, but uh, okay enough to be working. But um, uh, hope he's okay. I do think he made a fun movie. I certainly would like to know, uh, you, you know, my top question would probably be, why did the people who are supposed to be good players use graphite cue sticks? That is just, I'm not even mad about it, I'm just curious. Um, and and why, why didn't Uncle Mike simply... If he loses 80 and gets another 80, why didn't he simply walk into that pool room and say, all right, here's my checkbook. How much does the kid owe you? There you go. Uh, five grand? Okay. I, I, I can find that in my couch cushions. You know, why didn't Uncle Mike just go, okay, Joe, here's your five grand. Here's another five grand just for you and Rick Schroeder here to go fuck yourselves. And I'm paying you to go fuck yourselves. Now get out of my face. Uh, okay, uh, uh, how, what's his bail? 25 G's? Okay, I've got that in my other couch, ca couch cushions. Okay, here you go. Let's go bail your brother out of jail. And then, uh, uh, Johnny will say, no, 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 uh, I'm too proud. I don't want to take your money. Say, okay, here, uh, uh, consider it a wedding gift, you know, joking. Hey, you're going to marry my, uh, my niece at, at some point. Or you know what? Tell you what, um, here, uh, uh, pay me back when you got it. 
you know, but let's get this kid out of jail. I, I you know, or I'll, it'll be a gift to him, you know. Uh, when you have, it's sort of like having a character with superpowers in a movie that doesn't, isn't a superhero movie, right? Like, it raises all these questions. Like, Uncle Mike, ba- in, the, in the world of a pool room, Uncle Mike is basically a superhero because he can do anything. Because in a pool room, money kind of does solve everything. And there's not a problem in this movie in the in the last sort of climax. There's not a problem in this movie that does not that cannot be solved that cannot be solved with money. Uh, bail him out of jail. Pay Joe. Like I say, give him another G to go fuck himself. And uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, buy a new mattress because she tossed that bucket of ice on the fucking mattress. I don't know. Yeah, that would be my question. <laughs> that would be the question I would ask. Hey, Mars, why didn't Uncle Mike just do a, a, the way we bailed out the banks, right? Why, why didn't he just bail everybody out? Um, he loses 80, he gets another 80, right? Okay. I do think it's a fun movie. Uh, if this movie ever comes on cable, uh, you know, it just pops up on a channel, I will watch it. Uh, I had fun watching it with you. Uh, thanks again to uh, Jeremy for recommending it. Uh, I'll be expecting you to email me and tell me everything I got wrong. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time.